Do you ever get the feeling they want to kill as many of us as possible? From the pandemic to trying to start World War III to setting fire to all kinds of deadly chemicals that have now gone hundreds of miles away from the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, to the left trying to start a civil war with the right. Do you ever get the feeling they want to kill as many of us as possible? Let's talk about it on today's edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you into the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 348 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Monday, February 20th, 2023. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, click on the button that says Become a Patron, and we thank you so much to all of our patrons. We appreciate each one of you. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports, with my friend Donnie Copeland. It drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. Okay, also we have a special announcement about the future of the Doc Washburn Show. By the grace of God, we have been able to acquire top-of-the-line video equipment, and it is installed. All we need to to make the transition from just audio to audio and video is to bring in a couple of interns to help with video production, research, editing, social media outreach, and we can make that transition to video. If you know a young person who is a conservative who is trying to break into television, this would be the perfect opportunity to show what he or she can do. Have him or her contact us at our email address, contact at docwashburnshow.com. Okay, now, the most popular episode of the Doc Washburn Show in the last four months is episode 312 that we dropped on New Year's Eve It's called When the Conspiracy Theories Come True. That has the most downloads and listens of anything we have done in over four months. Today's episode, entitled, Do You Ever Get the Feeling They Want to Kill As Many of Us As Possible, is kind of a reprise, kind of a follow-up, kind of chapter two of When the Conspiracy Theories Come True. So, Let's get started with something I missed the other day. You know, when I played Joe Biden saying this 
and they'll deliver much-needed humanitarian assistance as well as food, water, medicine, shelter, and other aid to Ukrainians displaced by Russia's war and provide aid for those seeking refuge in other countries from Ukraine. It's also going to help schools and hospitals open. It's going to allow pensions and social support to be paid to the Ukrainian people so they have something, something in their pocket. It's also going to provide critical resources to address food shortages around the globe. Okay, I had the typical conservative response, the typical conservative take on this, which is we're $31 trillion in debt. We can't afford this. You keep on sending billions to Ukraine. Your FEMA just turned down any help for the suffering community of East Palestine, Ohio. You don't care a thing about America. Now, all that's true. All that's true. But there's more to it. There's a guy named uh, Daryl Cooper. He goes by Martyr Maid over on Twitter. If the handle Martyr Maid sounds familiar to you and you can't quite place it, especially if you're not on Twitter, you're like a normal person, It's probably because of a thread that he did in July of 2021 on Twitter. Now, if you're going, Doc, I just thought you said we recognize this handle Martyr made if we're not on Twitter, and now you're talking about something he did on Twitter. Yeah, it was such a big deal. It was so incisive that Tucker Carlson did a seven-minute monologue and read the whole thing. I read the whole thing, too, but last time I checked, Tucker, I think, has a few more viewers than I have listeners. So, (laughs) for the time being, you know, you never know what's going to happen. But um, that's how profound what this guy Martyr Maid said was on July 8th of 2021. It's very unusual for the most watched television show in all of cable news, Tucker Carlson. Well, he's usually most watched. Every once in a while, the five has a little bit higher ratings, but Tucker's usually the most watched. To read a whole thread off of Twitter, very unusual. Kind of reminds me of Rush Limbaugh in the old days. When he would come across some kind of a, a blockbuster article, Every once in a blue moon. And he would be so taken by it. He would be so enthused that he would read it on the air. Didn't happen very often. Anyway, enough about that. So... So I follow this guy, Daryl Cooper, who goes by Martyr Bade on Twitter. I follow him closely because, you know, I want to be reading the thoughts of people that are smarter than me. I want to be reading the thoughts of people who go, aha, did you notice this? Did you pick up on this? And sometimes I already have, but sometimes I'm like, oh, my goodness. 
Oh, there it is. There it is right in front of me. So I played that thing about Biden saying, hey, we're going to give untold zillions of dollars to Ukraine and we're going to take care of their government pensions and all that kind of stuff, right? Everything I said was true. We can't afford it. He's just trying to drive us further into bankruptcy. You know, Ukraine has the goods on Joe and Hunter. They're blackmailing, you know, the the whole thing, the whole thing. Everything I said was true. However, Daryl Cooper, as Martyr made, takes it to the next level. Here's what he said. Ukraine is not an ally of the U.S. or even a client anymore but a satellite with no sovereignty at all. We have scuttled peace agreements between Zelensky and Putin, and now we can threaten to cut off their basic services and pensions if they decide to stop feeding peons into the meat grinder of this war. Our role And the whole thing is sick and shameful. We overthrew the legitimate Ukrainian government back in 2014, replaced it with a puppet, used them to pick a fight with Russia, and sabotaged their attempts to make peace. All after Biden's son was full-on caught taking bribes from their oligarchs. And it is sick. Now, he retweeted one of the responses which said, threatening to cut off pensions sounds like hyperbole until you remember that Biden is on record threatening to cut off millions in aid to get a specific prosecutor fired. Yeah, I think it was uh, like over a billion. Yeah, yeah, remember? When he bragged about that? Ian Miles Chong, pretty sharp guy on Twitter, responded, Have you seen videos of their mobilization efforts? Scary stuff. The men who don't run away in fear are beaten and put into the back of a truck where they get sent to the front lines to die the next day. And on the front... Soldiers are talking about overthrowing the government. Fascinating, isn't it? But yeah, it's... uh, No, I'm going to get to the CDC and the pandemic and the World Health Organization. I'm going to get to the train derailment and how far out those deadly chemicals that they set on fire, already are. But one of the things we do on the Doc Washburn Show is we share with you stuff that you're not getting anywhere else. I can't watch Fox News 24-7. I I don't ever have time to listen to talk radio anymore. But I've kind of got a feel for what's being covered and what isn't. There was a big bipartisan anti-war rally in Washington, D.C. 
I'm not a big fan of Tulsi Gabbard. I'm very wary of her. Okay? But when somebody speaks the truth, I'm going to listen. And so here she was at the anti-war rally in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, February 19th, 2023. Those people who work in our nation's capital eagerly continue to escalate tensions, eagerly wage new cold wars, understanding that if there's a nuclear attack, yes, they will be okay in their bunkers where they literally have plans to be able to continue to wage wars from their bunkers without any consideration for the rest of us and the destruction and incineration that their wars will cause. This was ultimately the thing that caused me to run for president in 2020 because I saw where our leaders were taking us. I saw the dangers of where this new Cold War and nuclear arms race would eventually lead. Whether intentional or accidental, there is only one destination for such wars, and that is a nuclear holocaust. I made it clear then that this is a central issue of our time, the most important issue facing us in the 21st century, and that there was a clear choice in that election. We're either going to work towards peace, de-escalate tensions, move away from this new Cold War, or we will continue to race rapidly towards nuclear brink toward a new Cold War with Russia, a new Cold War with China, and therefore racing towards nuclear war. Now, for those of you who remember that election, this issue was not important to the media. They refused to talk about it. They refused to raise the question in the debates. There was no other candidate willing to talk about this issue. It was not important to them then, and it's not important to them now. And so here we are, two short years later, What I warned about then is now our reality. This proxy war that we're fighting against Russia right now could turn at any moment into a direct conflict between the United States, NATO, and Russia, a country that has more nuclear weapons than any other in the world. Now, anyone with a little bit of common sense knows that a cold war can very quickly turn to a hot war, and that when you're waging a hot war against a nuclear-armed country, It's just a matter of time before it leads to the use of nuclear weapons at any moment. And here's the insanity of it all. We have talking heads on TV, we have politicians, we have very powerful people here in the United States and all around the world speaking with a straight face, well, you know, if we start World War III or when World War III starts, here's how we're going to fight and win. That if Putin decides to use tactical nuclear weapons, here's what we're going to do, as though such a war could ever be won. It cannot be won. World War III cannot be won. They're living in this archaic mindset of World War I and World War II and not facing the realities that we have today. There is no way to win a nuclear war. There is only one end, and that is a nuclear holocaust. Now, do you disagree with one thing that she said? Again, not a big fan. I wasn't a big fan of anybody trying to get the Democrat nomination for president in 2019-2020. But I 
I can't find I can't find a weak spot in her argument here about World War III. And she's right, these idiots who pretend like it'll be just like World War I or World War II. No. No. Guess how we stopped World War II? We dropped nukes on Japan. Russia has more nukes than we do. Doesn't matter. Any country that has nukes has enough to mess up the world. I got one more clip from Tulsi Gabbard at the Rage Against the War Machine rally in Washington, D.C. on Sunday. So we're gathered here today because we know that it doesn't have to be this way. We know that there is a better way and that the task before us is urgent and necessary. We have people gathered here from all over the country, people who are gathered here from all ends of the political spectrum. And if we were to have a conversation, my guess is there may be other things we don't agree on. But the truth is that we could disagree about everything else. Everything else. But the one thing that we do agree on that brings us together here today is that we value life. We want to live. We want our loved ones to live and thrive. We want to be able to go out on a day like today and walk in the trees and hear the birds chirping with the sun shining down on our face. We understand that whatever our differences may be, that we must stand together as people who cherish peace, security, and freedom. We must set aside our differences, work together to fire those warmongering politicians from both political parties who serve their masters in the military-industrial complex instead of serving the people. Those warmongers who carelessly and thoughtlessly are sending us hurtling towards a nuclear holocaust that would destroy all life and the world as we know it. The only way we can stop them is when we stand together and lift our voices in unity, telling them, no, we will not let you destroy us. We will not let you destroy our loved ones, our communities, our country, here in the United States and around the world. If we stand together on this one issue, we will be able to wrest the power away from those who don't care about us, those who bend the knee to their overlords in the military-industrial complex, take back that power and ensure that we take those trillions of dollars they are feeding into the war machine and instead dedicate those resources towards peace, prosperity, and freedom. We cannot be free and prosperous or safe unless we are at peace. We are the spark that has the power to light that fire to bring about change. So let that spark of love that exists in every single one of our hearts, that aloha, be that inspiration and that fuel 
that provides us with the courage to fight against these powerful entities, knowing that our cause is just, it is right, and it is necessary. We must work together towards this future in fulfilling and accomplishing this mission of peace. Thank you very much. Aloha. Wow. I've been thinking about this a lot. You probably have too. What's the end game? And she alluded to it. They plan to keep on keeping on from their bunkers if nukes start flying. Look, here, here's the deal. Politicians who celebrate the murder of unborn babies, they don't care about the rest of us, you know? There's an old saying in the mafia, right? you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. They don't care. You think they care about the people in the East Palestine, Ohio area who voted 71% for Trump? Whether they have clean drinking water? Whether they've whether they're going to come down with cancer from the stuff they're breathing. They don't care. Remember September 11th, 2001, when the people in the second tower before the second plane hit were told to stay at their desks? There's there's a lot more. We need to have a conversation. A lot more coming up. Look, if you try to buy a car recently, you realize... There's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online. They'll drive it to you, no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com, pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online. If you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, Order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door. No matter where you live in the continental U.S., redriverauto.com. You will be glad you did. I'm honored to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, even migraines. The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you, even if you're not from Arkansas. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens... Your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it's never come back. 
I had terrible migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, they also went away for good. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, fibromyalgia, problems with your blood sugar, even migraines, psoriasis, eczema, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. If you're outside Central Arkansas, but you want to check this out, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on the button that says Find a Doctor Near You, and I sure hope you can. Now, as you have probably heard by now, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everybody get the best sleep of your life. And this is exciting. He now has MyPillow 2.0 with a brand-new temperature-regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. MyPillow 2.0 has a new fabric that dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. The new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature through the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. You know, your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. MyPillow 2.0 was developed to provide a cool surface and engineered for comfort. Because it's a fiber, not a finish, it'll last the life of the fabric. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels. It's machine washable and dryable. There's a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee, and, of course, it's made in the USA. And right now, Mike Lindell is offering my listeners a special deal. MyPillow 2.0, two-for-one, when you use the promo code DWS. My wife and I love our new MyPillow 2.0s. And we also love the Giza Dreams sheets. They are fantastic. The first night you sleep on these sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else again. Mike's also making a special offer on the Giza Dreams sheets for my listeners. Get a set of Giza sheets for as low as $29.98 just by using promo code DWS. And right now, a set of pillowcases is only $9.98. In this economy, instead of buying a new bed, rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. MyPillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles like plush, waffle, or gossamer for as low as $29.98. Get huge discounts on duvets, quilts, down comforters, and so much more. Use that promo code DWS. You'll get huge discounts on all MyPillow bedding, including MyPillow 2.0, two-for-one deal on that. And my pillow Giza Dreams sheets for just twenty nine ninety eight. And how about those new my slippers moccasins? I had no idea slippers could feel this good. Right now, save up to ninety dollars on my slippers, slip ons, and moccasins. Marked down to just forty nine ninety eight by using promo code DWS. Now remember, that promo code does not stand for washed up Democrat politician Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, no. DWS, 
It stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com and MyStore.com, where Mike sells all kinds of stuff. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code DWS. So, they talk about the need for regime change in Russia. And that's supposed to uh, that's supposed to calm things down. No, no, it doesn't. It's a fellow named uh, Ty Carden. He's CEO of Blaze Media, and he had a thread recently, and I think this bears repeating. On August 17, 1975, United States Senator Frank Church appeared on NBC's Meet the Press and issued a stark warning about a certain technology perfected by the intelligence community, which could be used by the U.S. government against its own citizens to create what Senator Church called total tyranny. Here's what he said. I guess it'd help if I uh, turn the volume back up. But let me tell you this. In the need to develop a capacity to know what potential enemies are doing, the United States government has perfected a technological capability that enables us to monitor the messages that go through the air. Uh, These messages uh, are between ships at sea. They could be between units, uh, military units in the field. We have a very extensive capability of intercepting messages wherever they may be in the airwaves. Now, that is necessary and important to the United States as we look abroad at enemies or potential enemies. We must know. At the same time, that capability at any time could be turned around on the American people. And no American would have any privacy left, such as the capability to monitor everything, telephone conversations, telegrams, it doesn't matter. There would be no place to hide. If this government ever became a tyranny, if a dictator ever took charge in this country, the technological capacity that the intelligence community has given the government could enable it to impose total tyranny. And there would be no way to fight back because the most careful effort to combine together in resistance to the government, no matter how privately it was done, is within the reach of the government to know. Such is the capability of this technology. Now, why is this investigation important? I'll tell you why. Because I don't want to see this country ever go across the bridge. I know the capacity that is there to make tyranny total in America. And we must see to it that this agency and all agencies that possess this technology operate within the law and under proper supervision so that we never cross over that abyss. There, that's the abyss from which there is no return. You ever heard of the program called Echelon? 
I uh, I lived in Niceville, Florida, late nineties, early two thousands, and uh, a friend of mine at church worked at the Air Force Base. He told me about Echelon. I'd never heard of it before. Most people within the sound of my voice probably haven't heard of it. But, as is the case these days, everything has a Wikipedia page. Echelon, originally a secret government code name, is a surveillance program, signals intelligence collection, and analysis, analysis network operated by the five signatory states to the UK-USA Security Agreement. Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and the United States, also known as the Five Eyes. Created in the late 1960s to monitor the military and diplomatic communications of the Soviet Union and its Eastern Bloc allies during the Cold War, the Echelon Project became formally established in 1971. By the end of the 20th century, the system referred to as Echelon had greatly expanded. Really. The UK-USA intelligence community was assessed by the European European Parliament in 2000 to include the signals intelligence agencies of each of the member states. The government communications headquarters of the UK, the National Security Agency of the US. Gee, I wonder why they wanted to get rid of Mike Flynn when he was coming in with Trump. The Communications Security Establishment of Canada, the Australian Signals Directorate of Australia, and the Government Communications Security Bureau of New Zealand. You see, they don't just listen to foreigners. In 1988, Margaret Newsham, a Lockheed employee under NSA contract, disclosed the Echelon surveillance system to members of Congress. She told a member of the U.S. Congress that the telephone calls of Strom Thurmond, a Republican U.S. senator, were being collected by the NSA. Congressional investigators... Now, this was with the Republican president, by the way. Imagine with the Democrat. Congressional investigators determined that targeting of U.S. political figures would not occur by accident, but was designed into the system from... The start. I'm going to tell you some stuff today you may not know. Did you realize that uh, Senator Sam Irvin's Watergate committee that went after and took down the most popular president in our history, Richard Nixon, did you realize that Republicans on the committee said, hey, we want to look into some of uh, President Johnson's dirty tricks too, and Senator Irvin Democrats being in a majority in the Senate said, nope, just going to look at Nixon, not, 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 not Johnson. See, because Johnson wiretapped Goldwater when he was running for president in 64 and Nixon when he was running in 68. Just, just so you know. Just so you know. It goes on and on and on. It's a long article in Wikipedia about... Uh, Echelon, I just I just didn't know if you'd heard about it before. So I, I just thought it was my responsibility to uh, to share it with you. But there's more about Senator Church. 
And, and a big tip of the hat to Ty Cardin, CEO of Blaze Media. In 1976, Senator Church famously chaired a congressional investigation of the intelligence community by the Senate Intelligence Committee. During the investigation, several committee members became aware of the intelligence community's prolific use of journalists and the corporate press in its operations. The scope of the intelligence community's use of the corporate press was downplayed in its final report to avoid the embarrassment of exposing some of those notable journalists and news organizations of the 50s and 60s. Sort of sort of makes you wonder, doesn't it? And he links to an article by Carl uh, Bernstein called The CIA and the Media. And the article is over at archive.org which makes you wonder if it's been deleted. It's from 2007. But um, it's a long article. Uh, Bernstein himself wasn't really a journalist. He, he was the Naval Intelligence right before he started working for the Washington Post. So we got Frank Church grilling Richard Helms, CIA director, and it went something like this. I thought that it was a matter of uh, real concern that planted stories intended to serve a national purpose abroad um, came home and were circulated here and believed here because... uh, this would mean that the CIA could manipulate the news in the United States by channeling it through some foreign country. And we're looking at that very carefully. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing to a major circulation American journal? We do have people who submit pieces to other two American journals. Do you have any people paid by the CIA who are working for television networks? This, I think, gets into the kind of uh, getting into the details, Mr. Chairman, that I'd like to get into in executive session. Uh, at CBS, uh, we uh, had been contacted by the CIA. As a matter of fact, by the time I became the head of the whole news and public affairs operation in 19... 19- uh, that voice is Sig Mickelson, who was president of CBS News at the time. In 54, the ships had been established, and I was told about them and asked if I'd carry on with them. We have quite a lot of detailed information, uh, and we will evaluate it, and we will include any um, evidence of wrongdoing or any evidence of impropriety in our final report and make recommendations. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing to the 
National News Services, AP and UPI. Well, again, I think we're getting into the kind of detail, Mr. Chairman, that I'd prefer to handle in executive session. Senator, do you think that you named the news organizations in your final report? Uh, th that remains to be decided. I think it was entirely in order for our correspondents at that time uh, to make use of the uh, CIA agent ch uh, chiefs uh, of station and other members of the executive staff of CIA as sources of information which were useful in their assessments of world conditions. Would you say that continues today? Well, I, yeah, I would think probably for a reporter it would continue today, but because of all of the revelations of the period of the 1970s, uh, it seems to me that a reporter's got to be much more circumspect in doing it now, or he runs the risk of uh, at least being looked at with considerable disfavor by the public. I think you've got to be much more careful about it. So, uh, United States Senator Frank Church, uh, he was defeated. He was a Democrat. He was defeated by, uh, for re-election in 1980. So, left the Senate in January of 1981. Three years later, January 12, 1984, he was hospitalized for a pancreatic tumor. Less than three months after the hospitalization, he died at his home in Bethesda, Maryland, April 7, 1984, at age 59. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Frank Church was stunned by what the church committee learned about the immense operations and electronic monitoring capabilities of the National Security Agency, an agency whose existence was unknown to most Americans at the time. He made a statement in 1975, I played it for you just a few minutes ago, about that capability at any time, at any time. This is, this is almost 50 years ago. He's saying that capability at any time could be turned around on the American people and no American would have any privacy left such is the capability to monitor everything, telephone conversations, telegrams, it doesn't matter. There would be no place to hide. This was way before any of us had the Internet. He's widely quoted as also stating regarding the NSA. So I figured my voice comes across a little bit better than the audio we have from almost 50 years ago. He said, I don't want to see this country ever go across the bridge. I know the capacity that is there to make tyranny total in America. And we must see to it that this agency and all agencies that possess the technology operate within the law and under proper supervision so that we never cross over that abyss. That is the abyss from which there is no return. So, uh, I'll tell you, I wonder, let's see, who, who all was on the church committee? I wonder if it'll tell us who was on the church committee. Okay, the Democrats were... Frank Church, chairman from Idaho, Idaho, 
Philip Hart, Michigan, Walter Mondale, Minnesota, Walter Huddleston, Kentucky, Robert Morgan, North Carolina, and Gary Hart, Colorado. The Republicans were uh, Vice Chairman John Tower of Texas, Howard Baker, Tennessee, Barry Goldwater, Arizona, Charles Mathias, Maryland, and Richard Schweiker, Pennsylvania. So Joe Biden was not on the church committee. But Joe Biden was already in the Senate. And I'm sure he was paying attention. Just thought I'd mention that. Look, we've got to talk about the danger to people hundreds of miles away from where they set fire to all those dangerous chemicals from the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. I don't know if you've heard what's going on hundreds of miles away. We've also got to talk about the pandemic. We also have to talk about the left trying to start a civil war with the right. We're just scratching the surface on this edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Well, if you heard about AT&T losing billions in the stock market, you probably know why by now. For a lot of people, AT&T's satellite operation, DirecTV, getting rid of not only One American News, but also Newsmax, was the last straw. And they told AT&T, you can take your DirecTV and roll it off a long pier. They told AT&T, you know what? I'm done with you. No more money for your cell phone service. Now, if you're one of those people, you're looking for an alternative to AT&T or any of the big liberal cell phone carriers, I got it for you. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations the fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. And they have a coverage guarantee. You're covered. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, is ready to take care of you today. You know, the great Ronald Reagan said, 
Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? Here are five profound benefits of investing in precious metals. Number one, it's a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, investing in precious metals, well, they tend to be a store of value. That means precious metals are an asset, commodity, or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. And last but not least, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. So we're honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Andrew Sorcini and his team of Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from General Michael Flynn, and we're glad we did. Andrew is a frequent guest on conservative podcasts. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. Uh, Speaking of General Flynn, be sure to ask him about the new General Michael Flynn silver coins. To find out more about Andrew Sorcini and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals, go to bh-pm.com. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals. bh-pm.com. Let them know Doc Washburn sent you. If, if you can't remember the website, all you have to do is an Internet search for Beverly Hills Precious Metals. It's the first thing that comes up. Doesn't matter if you use Google, DuckDuckGo, Bing, whatever you want to use. Beverly Hills Precious Metals. We're honored to be able to tell you about them in an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investments. BH-PM.com, Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Tell them Doc Washburn sent you. You know, I've been talking about how the world's going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, woke corporations, a stand against everything we believe in. We all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people, were forced to close up. The wealthiest people on earth became better off, while mom-and-pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? What can we do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Switch to America.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created, with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of patron influencers have come on board already. I'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow 
of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We are done with a woke globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. And now an even more exciting addition is fresh American beef. Raised in the mountains of Montana, near Yellowstone, this beef is known as never ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. SwitchToAmerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to SwitchToAmerica.com. When it asks how you heard about us, click on my name, Doc Washburn, plug in your info, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. SwitchToAmerica.com. All right, the title of today's episode of the Doc Washburn Show is Do You Ever Get the Feeling They Want to Kill As Many of Us As Possible? All right, let's talk about it. First of all, the left's attempt to start a civil war with the right Let me just deal with that real quickly. I have an interview scheduled for this Friday, February 24th, at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. That's when the live stream will happen. And it's with a gentleman who's been a friend of mine for many, many years, Robert Spencer. He's got a new book called The Sumter Gambit. How the left is trying to foment a civil war. The Sumter Gambit is a concerted effort by the left to push the most extreme policies and ideologies into American public life while simultaneously labeling any opposition to their overreach as treason. You notice that? Now there's a book about it. While this strategy has been developed for decades only since the Trump years, has it become the central organizing principle and indeed the only governing strategy of the Democrat Party? Critical race theory in schools, extreme gun control and abortion laws, COVID lockdowns and mandates, and all that is just the beginning. The purpose of it all is to push non-leftist Americans into an impossible corner where they're forced to choose between giving up their liberty and their most dearly held principles, going to jail or fighting back. When the last becomes the only choice, the left plans to unleash the entire might of the military-industrial complex to defeat and destroy any vestiges of dissent. They'll have to do it, they'll tell us, to protect us from an insurrection, you know. At that point, we'll have the civil war they have always wanted and planned for since at least the 1960s. The Sumter Gambit 
is a brisk primer on the primary differences between the two camps in America today and the ways in which Americans can and must act now to preserve our nation. We must strengthen the country against its internal enemies who want to silence their opposition and impose upon us a radical leftist ideology that is in the process of transforming America into a land no one would ever dream of calling the land of the free or the home of the brave. There is no doubt that America is suffering from grave crises today. Here the noted political analyst, Islam expert and historian Robert Spencer shows just how severe those crises are and points the way back from the brink of civil war to political, societal, and cultural sanity. That's my interview this coming Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Robert Spencer talking about his new book, The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. Okay. Now, again, do you ever get the impression they're trying to kill as many of us as possible? Kevin Stockland over the EpicTimes.com. New article. Biden administration negotiates deal to give World Health Organization authority over U.S. pandemic policies. Heard about that? I didn't think so. The Biden administration is preparing to sign up the United States to a legally binding accord with the WHO that would give this Geneva-based U.N. subsidiary the authority to dictate America's policies during a pandemic. Despite widespread criticism, of the World Health Organization's response to the COVID pandemic. U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra joined with WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. I know I'm mispronouncing the last name. You know what? I don't care. Javier Becerra joined with him in September 2022 to announce the U.S. WHO strategic dialogue. Together they developed a, quote, platform to maximize the longstanding U.S. government WHO partnership and to protect and promote the health of all people around the globe, including the American people, unquote. These discussions and others spawned the zero draft, and he links to the PDF, of a pandemic treaty published on February 1st, which now seeks ratification by all 194 WHO member states. A meeting of the WHO's Intergovernmental Negotiating Body is scheduled for February 27th to work out the final terms, which all members will then sign. Written under the banner of the World Together Equitably, the Zero Draft grants the WHO the power to declare and manage a global pandemic emergency. Once a health emergency is declared, all signatories, including the United States, would submit to the authority of the WHO regarding treatments, government regulations, such as lockdowns and vaccine mandates, 
global supply chains, and monitoring and surveillance of populations. David Bell, public health physician and former staffer at WHO, specializing in epidemic policy, told the Epic Times they want to see a centralized vaccine and medication-based response and a very restrictive response in terms of controlling populations. They get to decide what is a health emergency, and they are putting in place a surveillance mechanism that will ensure that there are potential emergencies to declare. Huh. Kind of reminds me of what Frank Church said 47 years ago. How about you? The WHO Pandemic Treaty as part of a two-track effort coinciding with an initiative by the World Health Assembly to create new global pandemic regulations that would also supersede the laws of member states. The World Health Assembly, the WHA, is the rulemaking body of the WHO comprised of representatives from the member states. Francis Boyle, professor of international law at Illinois University, told the Epoch Times, Both initiatives are fatally dangerous. Either one or both would set up a worldwide medical police state under the control of WHO, and in particular, WHO Director General Tedros. If either one or both of these go through, Tedros or his successor will be able to issue orders that will go all the way down the pipe to your primary care physicians. Physician Merrill Ness told the Epic Times, If these rules go through as currently drafted, I, as a doctor, will be told what I am allowed to give a patient and what I am prohibited from giving a patient whenever the WHO declares a public health emergency so they can tell you you're getting remdesivir, but you can't have hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. What they're also saying is they believe in equity which means everybody in the world gets vaccinated, whether or not you need it, whether or not you're already immune. Regarding medical treatments, the accord would require member nations to monitor and regulate against what they call substandard and falsified pandemic-related products. Based on previous WHO and Biden administration policy, that would likely include forcing populations to take newly developed vaccines while preventing doctors from prescribing non-vaccine treatments or medicines. A key question surrounding the accord is whether the Biden administration can bind America to treaties and agreements without the consent of the U.S. Senate, which is required under the Constitution. The Zero Draft concedes that, per international law, treaties between countries must be ratified by national legislatures thus respecting the right of their citizens to consent. However, the draft also includes a clause that the accord will go into effect on a provisional basis as soon as it is signed by delegates to the WHO, and therefore it will be legally binding on members without being ratified by legislatures. Here's the quote from Boyle. Now remember, Francis Boyle 
is professor of international law at Illinois University. And here's what he says. Whoever drafted this clause knew as much about U.S. constitutional law and international law as I did and deliberately drafted it to circumvent the power of the Senate to give its advice and consent to treaties to provisionally bring it into force immediately upon signature. The Biden administration will take the position that this is an international executive agreement that the president can conclude of his own accord without approval by Congress and is binding on the United States of America, including all state and local democratically elected officials, governors, attorneys general, and health officials, unquote. There are several U.S. Supreme Court decisions that may support the Biden administration in this. They include State of Missouri versus Holland, in which the Supreme Court ruled that treaties supersede state laws. Other decisions, such as United States versus Belmont, ruled that executive agreements without Senate consent can be legally binding with the force of treaties. It kind of reminds me of what they did with the uh, Iran nuke deal under Obama. Remember that? They didn't pass it through the Senate as a treaty. They just said, hey, we got it. There are parallels between the World Health Organization Pandemic Accord and a recent OECD Global Tax Agreement. By the way, OECD stands for the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. It's an intergovernmental organization with 38 member countries, which has been around for over 60 years, just so you know. So with that clarification, there are parallels between the WHO Pandemic Accord and a recent OECD Global Tax Agreement, which the Biden administration signed on to, but which Republicans say has no path forward to legislative approval. In the OECD agreement, there are punitive terms built in that allow foreign countries to punish American companies if the deal is not ratified by the United States. As with the OECD tax agreement, administration officials are attempting to appeal to international organizations to impose policies that have been rejected by America's voters. Under the U.S. Constitution, health care does not fall under the authority of the federal government. It is the domain of the states. The Biden administration found this to be an unwelcome impediment to its attempts to impose vaccine mandates and mask mandates on Americans. When courts ruled, the federal agencies did not have the authority to do so. Boyle said to circumvent that, they went to the World Health Organization for either the regulations or the treaty to get around domestic opposition. According to the Zero Draft, signatories would agree to strengthen the, cap- the capacity and performance of national regulatory authorities and increase the harmonization of regulatory requirements at the international and regional level. They'll also implement a whole-of-government and whole-of-society approach at the national level that will include national governments, local governments, and private companies. The Zero Draft stated that this new accord is necessary because of, quote, the catastrophic failure of the international community and showing solidarity and equity in response to the coronavirus disease pandemic, unquote. 
A report from the WHO's Independent Panel for Pandemic Preparedness and Response characterized the WHO's performance as a toxic cocktail of bad decisions. Co-chair Ellen Johnson Sirleaf told the BBC it was due to a myriad of failures, gaps, and delays. The solutions proposed by that report, however, did not suggest more local autonomy or diversified decision-making, but rather greater centralization, more power, and more money for the WHO. Well, you know, there's an old saying, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. The World Health Organization Pandemic Agreement calls for member states to implement what they call One Health Surveillance. One Health is a concept that has been embraced by the UN, the CDC, the World Bank, and other global organizations. Bell says the term originally meant a way of seeing human and animal health as linked. They sometimes are, so that you could improve human health by acting more broadly. It has become hijacked and now is used to claim that all human activities and all issues within the biosphere affect health and are therefore within public health's remit. So public health can be deemed to include climate or racism or fisheries management. And this is being used to claim that addressing carbon emissions is a health issue and therefore a health emergency. The WHO Zero Draft states that one health surveillance means leaving the definition to be worked out in future drafts. Whatever One Health Surveillance ultimately entails, however, the signatories must invest in it, implement it, and strengthen it. In September 2022, the World Bank approved a financial intermediary fund to finance, among other things, One Health Surveillance. Signatories also agree to support the official narrative When it comes to information about a pandemic, specifically, they will conduct regular social listening and analysis to identify the prevalence and profiles of what they call misinformation and design communications and messaging strategies for the public to counteract misinformation, disinformation, and false news, thereby strengthening public trust. Oh, buddy, is that going to backfire? This aligns with efforts by the Biden administration to, as former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki put it, make sure social media companies are aware of the latest narratives dangerous to public health and engage with them to better understand the enforcement of social media platform policies. Or, as UN Undersecretary General Melissa Fleming stated at a 2022 World Economic Forum panel, on tackling disinformation in Davos, Switzerland, we own the science and we think that the world should know it. Boy, they sure do. The official, they own it because they fund it. And the scientists know what's good for them and not get out of line. The official narrative during the COVID pandemic included support for lockdowns, school closures, and masking, all of which have since proven to be ineffective in stopping the spread of the virus and 
damaging to public health. A group of more than 900,000 doctors, epidemiologists, and public health scientists jointly signed the Great Barrington Declaration in 2020, expressing grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies. A group of more than 900,000 doctors, epidemiologists, and public health scientists. God bless them. This declaration, the Great Barrington Declaration, was widely derided as dangerous misinformation and was censored on social media. Bell said the views that they crushed were orthodox public health. Up until 2019, public health guidelines specifically said the things like prolonged border closures, closing stores, etc., were harmful, particularly for low-income people, and shouldn't be done beyond a few weeks. Those who pushed for lockdowns, according to Bell, were very clear that what they were recommending for COVID was going to be extremely harmful and that the harm would outweigh the benefit. They were clear because they wrote that down before and there's nothing new in the idea that impoverishing people reduces life expectancy. Something dramatically changed their minds and that something wasn't evidence. So we can only assume that it was pressure from vested interests. In January, a survey presented at the World Economic Forum found that public trust in government has plummeted since the start of the pandemic. Though attendees were at a loss to explain the reasons for the decline in trust. Instead, the discussion at the panel, titled Disrupting Distrust, focused on combating rogue news sources that challenged the central narrative. Oh, my. In July 2020, then-President Donald Trump withdrew the United States from membership and the WHO, citing the WHO's dismal performance in responding to the COVID pandemic and its ties to the Chinese Communist Party, Trump said that U.S. funding of approximately half a billion dollars per year would also cease. In response, then-presidential candidate Dementia Joe Biden vowed On my first day as president, I will rejoin the WHO and restore our leadership on the world stage. Biden kept his promise and took it one step further in negotiating the pandemic accord. Today, Republican lawmakers are attempting to revive the effort to take the United States out of the WHO. On January 12th, House Republicans introduced the No Taxpayer Funding for the World Health Organization Act which was sponsored by 16 representatives. Chip Roy, Republican of Texas, lead sponsor of the bill, stated, funneling millions of taxpayer dollars to the corrupt World Health Organization that serves the Chinese Communist Party is a slap in the face to hardworking American families struggling under record high inflation and to all those whose lives and livelihoods were ruined and destroyed by the COVID pandemic. The WHO praised China for their so-called leadership of the, at the beginning of COVID-19 and has done nothing to hold the CCP accountable for the spread of COVID-19. The pandemic accord 
A spokesman for Chip Roy told the Epic Times, it's just another reason to defund the WHO. But this zero draft of the Accord states that national sovereignty remains a priority within limits. The draft declares states have, in accordance with the Charter of the United Nations and the principles of international law, the sovereign right to determine and manage their approach to public health, provided that activities within their jurisdiction or control do not cause damage to their peoples and other countries. The Accord states that human rights are also important, and it mandates that people living under any restrictions on the freedom of movement, such as quarantines and isolations, have sufficient access to medication, health services, and other necessities and rights. The Accord presents human rights as health equity through resolute action on social, environmental, cultural, political, and economic determinants of health. Oh, I'm sure they would include uh, transgender surgery. I'll guarantee you. In line with this concept, countries like Austria went so far as to criminalize the refusal to take the COVID vaccine. In the U.S., places like New York City mandated vaccine passports for access to public spaces, dividing its residents into a privileged vaccinated class and a second-tier unvaccinated class. However, others see see human rights not in terms of collective health, but rather as individual rights to include such things as personal sovereignty, the ability of individuals to make their own choices, the right of people to have a voice, and medical decisions that affect them, free speech, and freedom of movement and assembly. Following the Second World War and the state-controlled ideologies of fascism, national socialism, and communism, Bell said it was realized that there has to be a fundamental understanding that individuals are sovereign. Human rights declarations after the war emphasize that even during times of crisis, we are born with rights, we're all equal, and those rights are inviolable. That is being very much watered down or wiped away in order to do this. He said, I think this issue is much, much broader. It's what sort of society we want to live in. Do we believe in equality or do we believe in a feudal system where we have a few people at the top controlling society, telling others what to do? That's the direction we're going in. The World Health Organization, the U.S. Health and Human Services Department, and the World Bank were contacted regarding this article but did not provide a response. So that is a Ken, Kevin Stockland over the Epic Times article entitled Biden Administration Negotiates Deal to Give WHO Authority Over U.S. Pandemic Policies. Now, I'm still going to get to the horrible fallout from the burning of all those terrible chemicals, from that train derailment at East Palestine, Ohio. But I just got to tell you, Aaron Siri, on his podcast, has this article, CDC now recommends children and adults with heart disease get doses of COVID vaccine. 
subtitle, Pushing Injections of a Product that Causes Heart Inflammation on Those with Heart Disease is Heartless. He says, CDC just published its childhood and adult vaccine schedules for 2023 once again. CDC has proven itself a mindless cheerleader for COVID-19 vaccines. For CDC, the answer to nearly every question is more shots. Everyone got COVID-19 anyway after vaccination. CDC solution, more shots. Vaccination appears to drive variants. CDC solution, more shots. It's cold outside. CDC solution, more shots. The religious fervor that drives CDC's zealous drive to vaccinate everyone is irrational. Vaccination, not health, is the goal. Nothing could make that clearer than CDC's 2023 vaccine schedules. CDC is heartless. Why? Putting aside it added COVID-19 vaccine to the routine schedule, For everyone six months and older, CDC is specifically recommending that those with heart disease get the COVID-19 vaccine, also known as the clot shot. Promoting the injection of a product that has been shown to cause heart inflammation and damage to someone with heart disease reflects the CDC's fever-pitched drive to vaccinate everyone at any cost. You ever feel like they're trying to kill as many of us as possible? He's got all these charts. He says, the solution, the above again brings into focus why no medical product should ever be mandated. This assures that you can say no if you don't want a product pushed by a plainly industry-captured agency, like I told you on the last episode. No, when it irrationally pushes you to harm yourself, No, when you can't even sue those with over $55 billion revenue in 2022 alone from the shot for injuries. Even if you love all the current vaccines, masks, etc., there may come a day when you may not want to take a mandated medical product. When that day comes, it may be too late to recapture the rights you have surrendered. Rights lost are rarely retrieved. This is why... While everyone should be free to take any medical product, everyone should also be free to decline any medical product without penalty. It should be that simple. He says, to that end, I encourage you to send the following proposed legislation to your legislative representatives. No law may require or coerce a person to receive or use a medical product, or impose a penalty or deprive a benefit for refusing a medical product or refusing to disclose whether a person has received a medical product. Medical freedom is freedom. If you can't get a job, go to school, play sports, sit in a restaurant, or otherwise participate in civil society because you refuse a medical product, then what good are your rights if you can only exercise them at home by yourself? That is why medical freedom is a fundamental right that must be permanently fixed into the law of every civilized nation. Thank you to all the warriors, veteran and new, who join arms in the battle to secure this fundamental right. As aptly stated in the Declaration of Independence, we are endowed by their creator 
with certain unalienable rights. And to safeguard those rights, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. We must never yield to the tyranny of permitting others to dictate what can or must be placed, administered, or injected onto or into our bodies. For once that right is ceded, no rights truly remain. That is uh, Aaron Siri. First name A-A-R-O-N. Last name S-I-R-I. Over at his substack, AaronSiri.substack.com. Article entitled CDC now recommends children and adults with heart disease get doses of COVID vaccine. All right, so let me get to what's up with a train derailment. Texas Lindsay on her substack, and she's got the receipts. She's got the footnotes. She's got the links, okay? Article entitled Urgent for Everyone East of the Mississippi. Subtitle. The train derailment in East Palestine and one scientist's prediction and warning of the reach of the carcinogenic toxins. It says, originally written, published by Adam Gertner on verivirology.substack.com. Some things are too important. I don't know if he's right, but a highly respected chemist and Cornell graduate David Collins said, Adam Gertner's claims have credibility in my book, so I think his findings are worth sharing far and wide so people can decide for themselves. Well, God bless her for that. So this actually is not Texas Lindsay's column. This is Adam Gertner's column, and this is getting a lot of traction. Up to 2.5 million gallons of, One of the most toxic substances known to man have been released into the air, water, and soil of the eastern seaboard and are presently making their way south and east. Acid rain, which in this case is hydrochloric acid mixed with concentrated, unburned vinyl chloride, has so far been reported in every direction. To the west of East Palestine, Ohio, Lafayette, Indiana, 400 miles west. To the north, from East Palestine, Ohio, 1,200 miles north up to Durham, Canada. To the east, from East Palestine, Ohio, 1,200 miles east to New York City and Boston. To the south of East Palestine, Ohio, 800 miles southwest to Kentucky so far. Now, this article was several days ago. So first of all, there's a link to KFBK Sacramento News Radio. I clicked on the link, and they're getting their info from NBC Connecticut. Mysterious, strange smell residue on cars. It's Connecticut. I don't know how to tell you this, but Connecticut is nowhere near Ohio. Then, the New York Post. Their article, New York residents report unusual odor and residue on cars, officials say. And they have the pictures of the chemical acid rain on the effective vehicles. And this looks bad. Vinyl chloride is water-soluble, 
takes months to degrade in soil or water. The Camp Lejeune spill was just a few thousand gallons. Okay? You've been hearing about the Camp Lejeune stuff for months now on TV and radio commercials. The Camp Lejeune spill was just a few thousand gallons. This is two and a half million gallons. Okay, vinyl chloride boils at 8 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's metabolites. How can something boil below freezing? Good grief. And its metabolites absolutely maul DNA. Safe exposures are considered to be in the parts per billion. People usually talk about parts per million. No, no, parts per billion. And we're talking about parts per million exposure likely coming for everybody east of the Mississippi. There will likely be some isolated parts of the eastern United States that may escape contamination. However, I sure would not want to wait around to find out which ones will be passed over. There are 250 million people living to the east of the Mississippi River and considering the rate at which it is progressively moving south with the water and east on the winds, every single person on the entire eastern seaboard may have only a few more days to leave before they are exposed to a lethal concentration of vinyl chloride. Everybody in the areas which have received acid rain have already been exposed and will likely develop extensive cancers over the coming few months. The article, he says, I will just say, if you live anywhere east of the Mississippi River, in my humble opinion, leave. Now, I wonder why he's not thinking it's going to come across the Mississippi River. Anyway, he says, maybe plan to come back in a couple of weeks. The magnitude of this will be more evident at that time. We have been at war for the last three years. And somebody may have just landed the killing blow with an utterly historically unprecedented chemical weapons attack. He says, I've waited as long as I can in good conscience to gather evidence and to write this. I fully understand what I'm saying and that 99% of people either can't leave or want to wait for more information or just generally refuse to believe something on this scale could ever happen here. Not to mention that there's absolutely no way this article will reach everybody that needs to hear it. I can scarcely believe I'm writing this. And I have been praying to be wrong. I really, really hope that I am wrong, but I do not think so. The authorities sure aren't going to tell us the truth about any of it. So for those of you who are inclined to take it seriously or aren't quite sure yet, Read on for the data and events thus far. Share this with anybody you care about. And if you are in the affected area that is anywhere east of the Mississippi, leave. Or don't. I'm not your mother. Time is short. I hope I'm wrong. Then he says, what we know. I summarized the events of the crash in the last brief article here. We have learned more since. The primary concern is unburned vinyl chloride. The uncontrolled open-air fire is very highly unlikely to have burned even a majority of it. While it is flammable like any other fire, it, it requires oxygen, and there were no accelerants in the crash. The cars leaked for days before they were set on fire, and holes were made in the tankers. 
That is plenty of time for vast quantities to have seeped into the ground and surrounding water, which has been confirmed thus far to have contaminated the Ohio River and will very likely be confirmed to have entered the Mississippi River. The intense heat and lack of oxygen at ground zero means that the majority of the vinyl chloride, which boils at 8 degrees Fahrenheit, is highly likely to have been lofted into the air unburned and is currently being rained down against everywhere from Canada to New York to Kentucky. Then he says it's not just the wind. The fact that acid rain has been reported as far north as Ontario and as far south as Kentucky constitutes something of a confirmation of another worst-case scenario. The chemical which was leached into soil, rivers, and groundwater, is evaporating and raining down again far outside the area which could have possibly been reached by the winds which are blowing east-northeast. Vinyl chloride takes months to denature when dissolved into water or leached into soil. A much smaller spill in 2012 In New Jersey, they managed to avoid setting that one on fire. The Ohio and Mississippi rivers basins permeate most of the eastern side of the country. There's a smaller area covered by the Tennessee River Basin around Georgia. While the contaminated water may or may not directly reach those areas, the prevailing winds are still likely to push the chemical to the east, even that far south. Southern Florida might be lucky enough to escape the devastation, but I would not be waiting around to see. Vinyl chloride is toxic in extremely tiny amounts. Specifically, the metabolite chloroethylene oxide binds to guanine in our DNA, completely and thoroughly destroying any affected DNA. It only takes the tiniest of exposures to be practically guaranteed severe cancers, particularly sarcoma of the liver, which is where that most toxic metabolite is first produced. Untold quantities of dioxin have also been produced. If vinyl chloride is the silver medalist of carcinogenicity, dioxin is the gold, and it is far more persistent in the environment than even the vinyl chloride. A gigantic bonfire of millions of gallons of vinyl chloride is the single worst chemical and environmental disaster imaginable. If the entirety of Lake Michigan had magically turned into VX gas, a rapidly lethal World War II nerve agent, I think he probably meant World War I, it still wouldn't be anywhere near this bad. Furthermore, there is mounting, albeit strongly circumstantial evidence, that this may have been a deliberate attack after all. The next heading for the next segment here is a deliberate chemical weapons attack. He says, Green water has been reported in East Palestine, Ohio. Let's review the chemicals released and produced by burning and the colors they will turn water upon mixing. Vinyl chloride. Colorless water, primary product, and colorless to light yellow water, combustion product, hydrogen chloride. 
ethylene glycol monobutyl ether. Colorless water, primary product, and clear to pale yellow water, combustion product, acrolein. Ethyl hexyl acrylate, colorless water, primary product, and clear colorless to cloudy water, combustion product, formaldehyde. Isobutylene, colorless water, primary product, and clear colorless water, combustion product, formaldehyde. Last but not least, butyl acrylates, colorless water, primary product, and clear colorless to cloudy water, combustion product, formaldehyde. Now, none of these products produce bright green water. How could bright green water possibly have been formed? Well, 3082 is the label for nickel oxide. 15 tanker trucks labeled 3082 were seen heading to East Palestine, Ohio on February 15th, and the next day there was reporting on residents' bright green tap water. Nickel oxide, up to 150,000 gallons of it, given the capacities of the tanker trucks, produces nickel chloride when it is mixed with vinyl chloride at atmospheric temperatures and pressure, which certainly does turn water green. Nickel chloride is also extremely toxic and carcinogenic and dissolves in water much more readily than vinyl chloride. If that is indeed what took place, which is not yet confirmed but seems likely, then it's that much worse. He says, why, for the love of God, would anybody mix 15 tanker trucks of nickel oxide into the spill? It is not a fire suppressant or dry powder agent like sodium bicarbonate. It is used as a flame retardant in small amounts for plastic mixtures, of which vinyl chloride is a precursor to PVC. But absolutely not for anything approaching this scale. Poisoning half of the country and destroying majority of America's farmland would be a great reason. Netflix released a movie in December called White Noise, playing out precisely what's taking place here, down to being filmed in the very same town, East Palestine, in which it occurred. The CDC also updated the data on vinyl chloride in late January before the crash and after 17 years of not touching the data on vinyl chloride. The EPA has also been very obviously falsifying air and water tests, and let's not forget the reporter that was arrested for trying to investigate. The conspiracy theorists are 60 nil these days, so I think Hanlon's razor is inverted until further notice. There's, there are no coincidences anymore. Now, Hanlon's razor is an adage or rule of thumb that states, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. Okay, this guy is saying, well, we have to turn that upside down now because this looks a whole lot more like malice than stupidity. He says, also notable is Daigle's 100 million population prediction. Daigle spelled D-E-A-G-E-L. Now, I must confess my ignorance here. I'm at daigle.com, 
And it looks like some kind of a military equipment website. Tactical vehicles, armored vehicles, a list of countries, artillery systems. So anyway, back to the article, and I apologize for the inconvenience. Also notable is Daigle's 100 million population prediction. This is the first event that could conceivably reach that number in the allotted time by 2025 with 250 million people east of the Mississippi River and the untold devastation knocking on to affect the rest of the country. This could easily do that. 2025? Then he says, FEMA can't handle it. FEMA is a federal emergency management agency. They are the ones that respond after state or city-destroying floods, massive wildfires, etc. If there were to be a full-scale nuclear war, they would be responsible for and have the authority to facilitate forming a new government. They just admitted that the scope of this is beyond anything they are able to handle. What are they going to do? Dig out 10 feet of soil across the entire eastern seaboard? Evacuate 250 million people? The foot dragging on declaring an emergency begins to make more sense once you grasp the truly horrific scale of this. There's absolutely nothing to do but leave, and it's already too late for the northeast and some parts of the east and midwest. They can't evacuate 250 million people. All they would do with such an announcement is cause mass panic. Mass panic? Well, that's exactly what's going to happen if I'm right, though. The country has never been so politically polarized and angry. Take hundreds of millions of heavily armed, very angry people, tell them that they have a few months to live if they're lucky, and that the very government they're already angry at has killed them. What do you think is going to happen when the sarcomas start appearing all over their bodies? It's going to look like the biblical plague of boils, the first bowl of God's wrath. I don't really want to begin to imagine what this would look like, but if it's anything even approaching the scale of how it appears, it's going to be very ugly. I would not want to stick around and find out. Then he says, who's to blame? Who cares? There's been so many disastrous decisions and events that led to this. Everybody from Joe Biden, to Governor DeWine, to President Trump, to Mitch McConnell, and Klaus Schwab, and everyone down to Norfolk Southern Rail all bear some degree of responsibility. There will be time to point fingers, and I'm sure there will be some measure of justice coming in short order. We've been in the middle of World War III for the last three years. We already lost, but we just might have really lost. All that matters right now is surviving. Now, in case you think this is hyperbole, I interviewed General Michael Flynn the other day, and he said we're already in World War III, just, just so you know. He says, don't waste time or energy on being afraid. Just take action, reasonable action. There's always a possibility that I'm wrong. Boy, wouldn't that be great? But there's no actual indication of any such luck yet. Maybe plan to come back in a couple of weeks if it doesn't end up being nearly as bad as it seems. What can be done? Very little. The cancers it causes are not ordinary cancers. They're the product of your DNA being put through a meat grinder. And the most frequent occurrence 
of these sarcomas is in the liver where the DNA destroying metabolite is first produced from the vinyl chloride. Maybe large doses of ivermectin and fenbendazole could slow it down or enable the immune system to destroy it, but I'm not optimistic. Consider it as dangerous as gamma radiation. It's just as pervasive, and it kills in precisely the same way, destroying DNA. There's some rumors that a few other compounds might help. I can't comment on the likelihood of that, but anything's better than nothing. The best course of action is to leave before it reaches you. Review this on your travels west and speak to a doctor when you have an opportunity. Vinyl chloride is extraordinarily dangerous. I hope I'm wrong. I'm usually not. Although my timelines tend to be very pessimistic, I've learned. Okay, so now I see uh, why this woman, Texas Lindsay, basically reprinted this article from Adam Gertner over at verivirology.substack.com. Now, what I'm going to do after this podcast is I'm going to try to uh, post this to social media and then talk to some folks. It's really shocking stuff. And, And again, and again, I certainly hope he's wrong. Certainly hope he's wrong. All right. I think it's that time. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by Red River Auto. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice. The way you want to online have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. So today's tweet of the day, CNN has a tweet of Joe Biden on an unannounced trip to Kiev, Ukraine, just days before the anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And Biden, on his eighth lifetime trip to Kiev, met with Ukrainian President Zelensky. And while they're walking around out in the open of Kiev, you can hear air raid sirens. So the great Derek Hunter, who was a great uh, radio talk show host in Baltimore and also a podcaster and also columnist at townhall.com, says, you can hear the air raid sirens in this clip, but you don't hear any explosions. Were the sirens turned on for effect? Let's be honest. Would anyone be surprised if this White House ordered air raid sirens turned on for show with Biden meeting with Zelensky out in the open in the capital of Ukraine? Will the Secret Service just ignore a legitimate air raid? Kind of doubt it. Yeah, I do too. I mean, there's just, there's no way, right? Of course it was for show. So there was a response from Bonchi over at Red State, one of my favorite Red State columnists. He says, of course they were. 
Biden isn't allowed to just stand around if there was a real air raid going on. All of this was for show. Yep. Sure is. Thanks again to our sponsors. Thanks again to Red River Auto for sponsoring the tweet of the day. You've been listening to episode 348 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof of a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X, Senior Vice President. Engineering, IT, and interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. And that's the way it is. Monday, February 20th, 2023.